Proverbs 30, verse 5 tells us that every word of God proves true. And He's a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. And so, if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I sincerely hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you today, then in the time being, you can look on page 1215 of your pew Bible in front of you. And then uh, also, please come and see me or one of the elders after the service. We'd love to give you a free copy of the Word of God that you can read and study for yourself. But we're in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning, where we will conclude a passage where Peter gives one final encouraging push to the beleaguered believers in his time to keep on running faithfully after Jesus throughout all their due to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're almost there. Can I just say what a refreshing word this final encouragement is that I want this message to be a reflection of for all of you today. And by the way, I want you also to see here that these verses pair beautifully with what Peter wrote earlier at the very beginning of this epistle, way back in chapter 1, verse 13. You see, before Peter wrote out any of the commands or any of the expectations in this letter, he first told us to set your hope fully on the what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter began this entire discussion of essential Christianity 101 by highlighting our need for God's grace. And now here we are at the end of his discussion of essential Christianity, and he reminds us all of our need for God's grace once again. What a beautiful picture that I have to point out to you. That from the very beginning to the very end, The Christian life that you and I are called on to run faithfully is all of God's grace. It is all done and it is all accomplished by God's unmerited favor and blessing which He powerfully works within the hearts of those whom He has caused to be born again. It is all done by God's unmerited favor and blessing. Paul himself confessed in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. For though I labored more than any of them, it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. We are debtors, brothers and sisters, solely to the grace of God. And now here we are at the end of this letter and after all the sobering pictures that we've been studying of hardship and suffering and warfare, the impact of these two verses is like a weary warrior staggering and about to fall suddenly looking up to the hills and he sees his help coming. Because that's exactly what Peter is telling us. He's saying, listen, I know the trials that you're facing. I know the times that you're living in. I know the terrors that you're facing. But one last word, lift up your eyes. Your help is coming, and the God of all grace is at hand. So pilgrim rise, warrior rise, Christian rise, get back up again. As Peter learned in his own life, get back up again. And by 
the God of all grace, keep on running. Keep on running after Jesus. For after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So now picking up on the humility theme that he's been going on after verse, or ever since verse 6, Peter begins by, in, by the encouraging call and reminding us here first of the want for all grace at the beginning of verse 10. Peter begins by saying these very important words for context. He says, and after you have suffered for a little while. Why do you and I need to be constantly reminded of all the help and all of the grace that God continually gives to his children? Why do we need to be looking over our shoulder towards the prize? Why do we need other believers to be calling forward to remind us of how close we are? Why do we need to be reminded of all the help and all of the grace that God continually gives his children? It's because you and I constantly need that grace. We constantly need God's grace. We constantly need his help. Why? Because just as Peter reminds us here, we are going to have to suffer. We are going to have to be tried in our faith. We're going to have to be tested. As Peter told us way back in chapter 1, verse 6, it's going to be necessary for a time to be grieved by various trials. Why? Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't want an empty profession. He wants a demonstration of new birth in your life. He wants the genuineness of our faith to be unveiled through trials and testings so that the world around us can see that we love and that we follow and that we trust in Jesus even when life hurts and doesn't always make sense listen you and i can't do that on our own that takes grace that takes divine enablement just as peter said back in chapter 2 verse 20 to do good and suffer for it and endure literally in the greek this is grace that comes from god and so if you and i are going to have to suffer then we're going to need all the grace and all the help that we can possibly get from god and as we're going to see next God is more than able and more than willing to give us exactly that. Grace for every trial. And really quickly before I move on, I don't want you to miss these gloriously encouraging words that Peter slips in here. He says, after you have suffered for how long? He says, after you've suffered for a little while. Here the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter compares our current temporal earthly life next to the stretching endless vistas of eternity. And he reminds us that whatever sufferings you and I will ever have to face here on earth, no matter how long they are, next to eternity are just a little while. In other words, they're almost done. They're almost done. You know, a wonderful woman who exhibits this type of mindset is Joni Erickson Tata. I don't know if you know anything about her, but she's, she's a believer who's been a quadriplegic for 56 years ever since she was 17 due to a diving accident. She hasn't been able to scratch her face in over half a century. And yet, if you were to meet her, and I was able to meet her once at a shepherd's conference, if you were able to meet her, she exhibits such a joy and peace in believing, it just radiates out of her. Well, when she was asked one time how she has handled being paralyzed her whole life, she replied, I take an end times view of my sufferings. 
For I know that even this is a light and momentary affliction that's preparing for me an eternal weight of glory. I just need to endure for a little while longer, knowing that every moment sown in tears will reap shouts of joy someday soon. Isn't that beautiful? Quoting Psalms 126 verse 5 and 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, Joni states the same truth that Peter gives here, that though she has suffered for 56 years, next to eternity, it's just a little while. So brothers and sisters, I see in this a glorious, the glorious compassion and love of our God. That when he hears the prayers of his people, prayers like Psalms 90 verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Our God, the God of all grace, hears the prayers of our affliction, and he says, oh, I will. And in fact, I will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. So much so that Paul writes in Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this present time are not even worth being compared to the glory that will soon be revealed to us this life brothers and sisters is just a little while just as god reminded us in isaiah 65 verses 17 through 18 behold i am creating a new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered nor will they even come to mind you will be joyful and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For behold, I am creating Jerusalem Jerusalem for rejoicing, and I am creating her people for joy. As Isaiah 35 verse 10 states, we will come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy will be upon our heads. We shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Why? It's because we're at last going to be in the presence of God and of the Lamb in whose presence is joy forevermore. And we will see His face in unveiled glory. It is there with Him and it is there in Him that we will know the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We're almost there, brothers and sisters. Our days are passing faster than a weaver's shuttle. Faster than a mist that vanishes away, as Scripture tells us. Eternity awaits. We're almost there. It's coming soon. And so let's keep running. Let's keep striving. Let's keep availing ourselves daily of God's abundant grace as we follow Christ in suffering for a little while. This is the want for all grace. Next, after showing us our want for all grace, Peter then shows us the wellspring of all grace. That's the next part in verse 10. He says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, notice, who is the one who has committed himself in this promise to bring us safely through the sufferings of this present world and safely home to glory? Who's the one who's promised? It is the God of what? All grace. Now, we've already learned back in chapter 4, verse 10, that God has grace for every trial. And we learn in chapter 5, verse 5, that he gives grace for every trial. Well, now here we learn in chapter 5, verse 10, that not only does God have grace, and not only does he give grace, but our God is committed to give all grace for every trial we ever face in life. All the help ever needed and necessary to get us on to glory. For he is the God of all grace. And this is exactly how he revealed himself to be to Moses, if you remember, on the mountain. When Moses got bold and he said, Oh Lord, show me your glory. 
The Lord showed him his divine character and he declared to Moses, I am Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and full of what? Grace. Think about that. Our God is a God who is bursting full of divine blessings and enablement to all who come to Him and call on Him in faith. We see this so clearly in the person of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, do we not? That our God is a God of all grace. Jesus was surrounded by so many needs, so many trials, so many heartaches. Entire towns and villages would come around him needing to be healed. And it didn't matter who you were. If you came to Jesus and if you cried out to him in faith, he saved you. He healed you. He restored you. And that's why the Apostle John wrote at the beginning of his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 17, For though the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. In Jesus we have seen and we've come to know that our God is the God of all grace, and that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, who is called the Spirit of grace, according to Hebrews 10, 29. That's why he gives us his word, which is called the word of grace in Acts 20.32. That's why he gives us access to him in prayer, which is a throne of grace, according to Hebrews 4.16. And that's why he gives us relationships with other believers in Christ who provide a fellowship of grace, according to Ephesians 4.29. God does all of those things. He gives us his word, prayer. He gives us the church. He gives us himself. Why? Because he is a God of all grace. The God of all grace who has committed himself to do something. And that brings us to our next point. We've seen the want and the wellspring of all grace. Now let's consider the will in all grace. That's next in verse 10. In other words, why is God committed to showering upon us all of this grace as we run this Christian life? It is because he has a will and a purpose behind all this grace. And what is that will? What is that purpose? Peter tells us, he says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has done what? He has called you to what? To hold on tight and hope you make it to heaven someday. No, he has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That is why God is committed to giving you and me all the grace that we will ever need in any circumstance. It is because He has called us to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus. He is committed to bringing us to glory. Just as 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, He has called us to His own glory and excellence. Or as 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12 puts it, He has called you into His own kingdom and glory. To this He has called you, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14 says, through our gospel to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the good news of the gospel is, is, is that it is good news of a God who will surely bring us to glory. Just as Jesus said in John 6, 39-40, This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal, unbroken life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And beloved, the God of all grace who has called us to His eternal glory, He will surely do it. He will accomplish His purpose. He will accomplish His calling. For as Romans 11.29 says, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. They cannot be turned back. And He who began a good work in you, as Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He will finish it. He doesn't ever set anyone on the Christian life without bringing them all the way to eternal life. 
And in fact, God, God brings all of us who belong to him to glory in such a guaranteed way that Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, 29-30. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he's justified, he also has glorified. You see, in the, and you're sitting thinking, really? I don't, look, I don't feel glorified right now. <laughs> That's true. But what it's saying is that in the eyes of God, it's as if we're already glorified right now. It's all a done deal because of his grace. Just as 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, He has saved us and He has called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He has given to us before the world began. So this is the reason why the God of all grace has promised to bring us all grace. It's because He is committed to not lose any of us, but to bring all of His children whom He has caused to be born again. He is committed to bringing all of us all the way to glory. Just as we can sing, raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. So we've seen the want, the wellspring, and the will behind all grace. But now Peter's going to break down for us the working of all grace. Peter tells us here at the end of verse 10 that after we have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called us to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And notice, God is going to do all of this work of grace. How? Himself. He's going to do it Himself personally. Just as Ephesians 2.10 reminds us, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And therefore, as such, He Himself is going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. And even though those four words are closely synonymous, there's a beautiful progression to them that I want you to see this morning. So first, as His workmanship, the God of all grace is going to personally restore us by His grace. That's His commitment. That's His commitment. And we all know what that word restore means. It means to repair something that's been broken or to make it completely whole again. So for example, when I was growing up, I restored a chair for a 4-H project one year. The chair seat had been broken. The leg was popped out and the stretcher that was supposed to be supporting those legs was broken. The chair was ruined. If left to itself, it would never fulfill the purpose for which that chair had been created. So it is with you and I. You see, sin has ruined us. Sin has ruined us. It has touched absolutely everything about us and marred the image of God that we were created in. And if left to ourselves apart from God's grace, we would never fulfill the purpose for which we were created. Well, listen, in Christ Jesus, God comes to us by His grace and He begins to deal with our sin problem. He begins working on restoring us on cleansing us from all unrighteousness, which is exactly what Titus 2, 11 through 12 says. God tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation also does something. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So that's what God's grace does when it's present in a person's life. Make no mistake. When God's grace is present in a person's life, it does not give you permission at last to sin. It gives you the power at last to resist 
And that's how one can know that God's grace is present and working in a person's life. It is when they look like a restoration project. As God Himself is personally cleansing us all from sin and working to restore us. The second way that God is working in all of His children whom He has caused to be born again, the way He is working in them to bring them to glory is not only through working on restoring them, but also working by His grace to Peter says, confirm them. The word confirm builds off the last one. It means to make stable, constant, reliable. So for example, using the illustration of that chair, if I was to simply reattach the seat of the chair and put the leg back on in its place, it might be an operable chair. (laughs) It, It would be restored in a sense. But if that was all that was done, it would be just as unstable as it was before, and it would break just as quickly as it had done before. And so in order to confirm that chair, I would need to add support underneath that seat. I would need to secure the horizontal stretchers between the legs so that the chair would be more than just not broken, but actually stable, consistent, constant, reliable in its duty to uphold my weight, right? Well, brothers and sisters, this is exactly the intent of God as he works within us. God, by his grace, is not only working to personally drive out sin, but in each and every one of his children, he's also actively working to establish righteousness in our lives, righteousness in our lives, to make us stable and constant and reliable. Again, Titus 2.12, the grace of God that brings salvation trains us not only to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, but also to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. As Paul makes clear in his letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, God is seeking to establish that the exact same word is here. He's seeking to confirm, to make stable and steadfast our hearts in what? In holiness. To confirm our hearts in every good work and word. That's the work that he's doing by his grace. And this is how grace is seen. As Romans 5.21 says, where, God grace, where God's grace is reigning in a person's life, it reigns through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace confirms. And so, what tool of God's grace does God primarily use to confirm and stabilize us spiritually? Really quickly, 2 Peter 1.12 and Romans 16.25 both teach us that God uses the truth of the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ to stabilize us and to confirm us in our faith. And so this is how God is going to bring us to glory. He's going to bring us to glory by His grace as through the preaching of the gospel and the work of Jesus, He personally works to restore, confirm, and third, strengthen us. In other words, God is wanting not only to cleanse us from sin and to confirm us in righteousness, He wants to strengthen us in that process. So that we're not vacillating back and forth continually between righteousness and sin, victory and defeat. But rather that you and I are experiencing by God's grace victory and righteousness more and more consistently. Rather than experiencing defeat and sin consistently. He's working to strengthen us. And, to com- and he's committed to do so by his grace. So that as 1 Peter 4.11 says, In everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ by the strength that God alone supplies. So, I want to remind you of this because I don't want you to ever sell short the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that guy's beyond this, the reach of God. Man, there's no way that person could get saved. Don't ever ever sell short the transformation that God can bring to any human soul. 
And the degree to which God, the God of all grace, can convert any person from sin to righteousness by His infinite grace. First Philippians 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the hope that we have in God, that the God of all grace will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and finally establish you spiritually. And that word means to be permanently and inalterably fixed. Now to be clear, I need to be very clear here, we're never going to achieve that in this life. In this life. Scripture is clear that until we get to heaven, we are never going to be permanently fixed in any spiritual discipline or practice. As 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he what? Falls. And boy did Peter learn that lesson, didn't he? I'll go with you to death. And he denies Jesus three times before a servant girl. Right? This type of spiritual permanence is still yet to come, but we need to be remembering as believers that it is coming. That the power, that's the power of God's grace that one day the God of all grace who has himself restored, confirmed, and strengthened us our whole life long will one day soon take these vacillating human beings like us and he's going to establish us permanently and unalterably as holy and blameless before him in love without struggle forever and ever. That's a miracle that it blows my mind the more I see my own sinful heart before a holy God. That one day He's going to make me holy and blameless and not just for a moment, but for eternity. No more sin. No more struggles. No more heartache and pain. As Revelation 21, 3-4 states, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things will have passed away. One day the God of all grace who has called us to His eternal glory in Christ, is going to establish us in that calling. Just as Psalms 92, verses 12-13 through foretells, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree, like a cedar in Lebanon. They will be planted in the house of the Lord and flourish in the courts of our God. We're going to see His face one day, brothers and sisters, and we're going to be made like Him, whole, secure, strong, and established. He who called us is faithful. He will surely do it. I want you to think about how encouraging that should be for us. For us who are, whether we like it or not, elect exiles. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come whose founder and builder is God. And though we be homeless here on earth as pilgrims and exiles, rejected and ostracized and hated for the cause of Christ, there is coming a day when, by God's grace, we will be home. We'll be established. Just as John Newton wrote, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that has brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. One day we'll be home. If you don't long for heaven as your home, my only conclusion is you either don't know Christ or you haven't lived long enough yet. What a day that will be. What a day that will be to finally leave this sinful world behind. 
to look around us and to borrow the words of C.S. Lewis, who said it way better than I could, at the end of his novel, The Last Battle, to exclaim with joy, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for my whole life, though I never knew it till now. Now I see the reason why I ever loved anything in that old world was because sometimes it looked a little like this world that was to come. Brothers and sisters, that's where God's grace is bringing us closer to. Each and every day, in the most ordinary of means, Every day we're in His Word. Every day we bow and pray. Every day we come alongside of a brother and sister in Christ and talk about the things of Jesus. The God of all grace is working in us, bringing us safely home where we will be at last whole. We will at last belong. We will at last be strong. And we will at last be home. How wonderfully true are those words, when all my labors and trials are o'er, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore, will through the ages be glory for me. When by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory, be glory for me. So let's keep striving, brothers and sisters. Are you going to live for this world that's going to pass away like a vapor in the night? Are you going to live long and live for things that last for eternity? So let's keep striving for heaven's securities because this is the working of all grace. It is God Himself every day slowly working in us to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. This is the work that God is doing in absolutely every child of His whom He has caused to be born again. And we need to remember, as Peter's going to show us the next time we're here in this study, This is the true grace of God, and don't you depart from it. There's a lot of false grace in this world today. This is the true grace. And so after finally showing us the want, the wellspring, the will, and the working of all grace, Peter then finishes by underscoring for us the worship from all grace. What results when you have this type of view of God when it comes to the Christian life? What results is worship. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That word dominion, by the way, simply means power. And so what Peter is saying here, right at the end of his primer on essential Christianity, is literally this. To God belongs the power forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to the Christian life, this is the end of the matter after all has been heard. The Christian life is a demonstration of God's power, not our own. And we've seen that throughout Peter's epistle, have we not? The gospel is the good news about who? God, not ourselves. Think about it. Right at the very beginning of his letter, Peter told us back in chapter 1, verse 3, that essential Christianity begins how? All by a work of God's power and grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So essential Christianity begins all by a powerful work of God's grace. And now here at the very end of this letter, Peter tells us that essential Christianity ends all by a powerful work of God's grace as well. The God of all grace will himself establish you. From beginning to end, 
the Christian life that you and I are called on to run, that we are right now running, is all of God's power and grace. Salvation belongs to our God. To Him belongs the power forever and ever. Amen. He is the one who does it all. Therefore, worship Him. Give Him the honor and the praise that He deserves for your Christian life. Let none of you boast in yourself. Boast in the God who keeps you running. Worship Him as He deserves. Not as the God of some grace who does some things in your salvation, but the God of all grace who is present and active and working in all things in our salvation. He is the one who does it all from beginning to end. Therefore, unto him be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As Charles Spurgeon once wrote, to conclude here, Christian, pause and ponder for a moment. What a debtor you are all to divine sovereignty. How much do you owe to his forgiving grace to his willful love that he gave his own son that he might die for you. Consider how much you owe to his forgiving grace that after 10,000 offenses, he loves you as infinitely as ever. Consider what you owe to his power, how he has raised you from your death to sin, how he has preserved your spiritual life, how he has kept you from falling, and how, though a thousand enemies have beset your path, you have been able to hold on your way. Consider what you owe to his immutability. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has never changed once. You are as deep in debt as you can be to every single attribute of God. To God you owe your very self and all that you have. Yield yourself, therefore, as a living sacrifice, for this is merely your reasonable service. It's all God's grace. And beloved, that's exactly where I want to leave you until next time when we finish this letter. This week, let's recognize that the Christian life that we are running, we cannot run ourselves and we were never intended to. The Christian life that we are running is all of God, not ourselves. So let's run it with all the grace this week that He alone supplies Let us in humility rely on His Spirit as He works within us through His Word, through His throne, through His people, as He works within us to restore, to confirm, to strengthen, and one day soon even, to establish us forever. Let's do this for ourselves. Let's do this for each other. Let's be the teammate who keeps their eyes on the prize of eternity and who keeps on yelling out to their brothers and sisters, let's keep running. We're almost there. May all the world see by God's transforming grace at work within us this week that power belongs to our God, the God who has called us, caused us to be born again, and the God who keeps us running.
This is the Word of God from 1 Peter 5, 6-11, through 11, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He who has called us to His eternal glory in Christ indeed returns to take us home. To that end, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I feel like a child on Christmas morning that got to unwrap the present. We thank You for Your great goodness and grace that though we do not deserve it, You have called sinners like us to Your eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And that though we often fall and stumble and would be prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love, You have committed Yourself in all of Your grace to us. That though we be faithless, You remain faithful. You are working in us by Your grace, each and every day to bring us home. So Father, I pray that this week we would humble ourselves beneath Your mighty hand that You might exalt us. Father, I pray that we would come before Your Word and be strengthened in our inner man. I pray that we would come before Your throne and cast our cares on You, knowing that You care for us. I pray that we would come among the brothers and sisters in Christ that you've provided for us here so that we would be on guard against the wiles of the devil. Father, help us to run this week by all the grace that you give us in Christ Jesus and help us, Father, to live for our home. We're almost there. May we encourage each other in that way yet more and more as we see the day drawing near. We ask this in Jesus' name.